So one Psalm one thirty nine. Uh, I'm reading from the New American Standard, which if you're used to using the ESV, they're very close. One of the reasons I like the New American Standard is, is that some of its descriptive adjectives add a little bit more. So if you're following along in the text, you can just see the uh, additions that the descriptors that are, are just gonna, a little bit different. It says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all your ways. Even before there is a word on your tongue, on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me, and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are, my, are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. O oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed. For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemy takes your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They are my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. So those of you who are familiar with Psalm 119, know that it speaks of the various aspects of God's sovereignty. This morning, what I'd like to explore is our understanding of how his sovereignty reflects his intimate care for us and that that care affects the way that we live. When we start looking at verses 1 through 6, in verse 1 and 2, we see how God knows what I'm doing and what I'm thinking as I go through my day. Verse 3 says he knows 
how I am living my life and is intimately acquainted with every aspect of my life. Verse 4, he knows what I'm going to say before I say it. He knows it all. He knows the motives and desires in my heart better than I know them. The question is, what does this, the intimate knowledge that God possesses, how does it impact my life? First, he knows every single sin in my heart, every selfish motive, every evil desire that resides deep within my being. Our tendency is to believe that if God knows all that about me, he would not want to have, to have anything to do with me and that he would come down hard on me. But the opposite is actually true. You know, I don't know why Jesus saved me, but there are two things I do know. At the point in which Jesus called me to himself, forgave my sins, and imparted Christ's righteousness to me, he was intimately aware of every single sin I have ever committed in my life up to that point. But also, at the point I came to Christ, he knew every single sin I was going to commit from that point to the end of my life. And he saved me anyway. His atonement covered them all from beginning to end. He knows my tendency to sin and is completely aware of my weaknesses. And yet out of his intense love, he deals with me with grace and mercy when I rightly deserve wrath and judgment. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor re rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. God doesn't have any misconceptions about us. You know, the psalm is clearly telling us that he knows every single thing about the in, innermost parts of our heart and he loves us and forgives us anyway. When we look at verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. The greatness of God's sovereign love reaches beyond my deepest sin. Romans 5.20 says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God's love is beyond my comprehension and is abundant far beyond what I deserve. His love does not change based on my actions. He doesn't love me more when I walk in obedience, and he doesn't love me less when I sin. You know, we as human beings are 
uh, love goes up and down depending on our circumstances and the response of the other person. But God isn't that way. He's not like me. He's, his love does not fluctuate or change because He doesn't change. Lamentations 3, 22 uh, and 23 says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. The other aspect of his intimate knowledge of my inner being is that he knows when I'm afraid. He knows when I'm discouraged and in despair, and when I'm frustrated, when I'm in danger, when I'm tempted, and when I'm weak. He's intimately aware of all these things. Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, and this is the most important part, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is intimately aware of my needs and desires to come to my aid whenever I call upon him. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. If we are self-sufficient, we don't need God. If we deny our needs and think that we're independent of all other things, then God, it hinders our relationship with the Lord because He desires for us to call upon His name. He desires to come and be our help and to be close to us. You know, those who, whenever we're going through a crisis in life, those who uh, are there for us, who spend time with us during that crisis and are uh, even just sit with us, we, after that crisis is over, there creates that, that increased bond between us through those difficult times. It's the same thing with the Lord. He wants to be there for us during difficult times. He wants to draw near to us. So the idea of God's intimate care for us is carried into the next section in verses 7 through 10. Uh, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. What this says is that wherever I am, he is there with me. He is always with me every single moment of the day and night, and we can find comfort in, this pro in, in his promises. You know, as I read these verses, think about how they speak of a location. Of Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Hebrews 13.5 I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. 
Psalm 34:18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 4, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow my foot to slip. He who watches over me will not slumber. Behold, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's always there with us. He is intimately aware of our needs and is there with us all the time. The peace of God flows into our hearts when we rest in his ever-present care for us. His presence gives us assurance and hope during difficult times. His sovereign power and his love for us are both necessary for me to dwell in peace. You know, if God were all-powerful but didn't care about us, it wouldn't do us, his power wouldn't do us any good if he had no desire to, for our sake. On the other side of the coin, if he cared for us but didn't have the power to actually follow through with it, uh, then we would be lost too. So it's inter- that, that's why with, you know, within this psalm, these two are intricately mixed, his sovereign power and his love and care for us. They are both essential. Uh, next, in verses 11 and 12, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. The Lord exists outside of our concept of space and time. You know, 2 Peter 3.8 says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. God exists outside of our realm of reality and yet, in all his incomprehensible greatness, he reaches down and is aware every, of every minute intricacy of my life every single day of the... Psalm 113, verse 6 is a precious verse. It says that God humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and are on earth. That God is so great, he... There's no reason he would have any care for us except the fact that he loves us. And that he, has to, he is so great that he has to humble himself to look down and see what's going on in our lives. Another aspect of how God transcends our existence is found in verses 13 through 16. It says, For you have formed my inward parts, You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. We are not just a product of biology. 
but are each unique creations of God. He has given each of us special abilities, talents, and gifts to be used to accomplish the purpose for which we were created. And there is definitely a purpose for each and a plan for each one of our lives. He has placed us each in a specific location to have an impact on the lives of those who he has put in our sphere of influence. The people we work with, our neighbors, the people here in this building, and other contacts are not random. God has ordained those people in our lives, those that irritate us and those who encourage us. There's a purpose that God puts each one of those people and his desire is that our lives would impact their lives. And he created us with the personalities we have, with the gifts we have, to fulfill that purpose in our specific sphere of influence. The, desire, the Lord desires for us to look around and be intentional about building relationships with our neighbors, co-workers, and others with whom we share a connection. All of you in this congregation are here to have a role in each other's lives to build up the body of Christ. We need to be outward focused on how we use what God has given us for the sake of others. As we use all that the Lord has given us to further his kingdom, the result is he is glorified and our lives have meaning and fulfillment because we are living for the reason we were created. Like I said, all of you here who are part of this body are not here randomly. You all have a purpose in the lives of the other people here. Verse 16 that says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book are written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there is not one of them. The word obtained, I'm sorry, the word ordained, in the Hebrew, it means to fashion with an overall strategic plan to accomplish a goal. It says that all the days that he gave us are ordained for me. The Lord has given each, uh, see. The Lord has given each of us a specific number of years to fulfill his purposes for our lives. We see this principle of the Lord's sovereignty over death restated in other parts of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 8.8 says, No man has authority to restrain the wind with the wind or authority over the day of death. Job 14 says, Man born of woman is short-lived and full of trouble. Since his days are determined, which another word for that is decreed. You know the number of his months. You have fixed the limit which he cannot pass. Look away from him and let him be while, like a hireling, he completes his days. And Numbers twenty four twenty three says, Alas, who can live except God has ordained it? The question we need to ask is, how should knowing that God is in control of the length of my life affect how I live now? First, 
Being convinced of God's control over the length of my life removes fear that something outside of God's control can end my life prematurely. Psalm 91 verses 5 through 7 says, You will not be afraid of the terror by night, or of the arrow that flies by day, or of the plague that stalks in darkness, or of the destruction that devastates at noon. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not approach you. Secondly, the world does not like to think about death because of the uncertainty and fear of what comes after. The children of God do not need to have, to have that fear, but live in light of the hope promised in the scriptures of spending time, spending eternity with Christ in heaven. First Thessalonians 4 says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, that those who are asleep, uh, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And I like the last verse of that section that says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words, because they dispel the fear of death. Third, we need to take advantage of every day that the Lord gives us and use it for His glory. We need to take every opportunity with our loved ones and value them as precious gifts from God and not allow the world to encumber our time with lesser things. We need to not presume upon the future and regularly examine our priorities in order to live our lives in light of eternity. James 4, verses 14 and 15 said, Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow, for you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this and that. Um, when I was, I've worked in uh, hospitals all my life, and um, a lot of the time that I spent was I was assigned to be either in the ICU unit or the oncology unit. And another part of my job was is that I went to every single cardiac arrest that happened, either in the hospital or in the emergency room. And uh, so I've experienced a lot of people who uh, came in and didn't expect that that was the last day of their life. And there are others who... Uh, came in and thought that it was the last day of their life and, and lived longer. Um, I remember one specific situation where this fellow was in the emergency room for some other reason. He was laying on a cot and suddenly had a seizure and stopped breathing and his heart stopped. 
and they were able to resuscitate him very quickly, but had this fellow been somewhere else, he would have surely died because there was no end to have intervention, but it wasn't his time to go. Uh, it's something that we just really need to take seriously in terms of how uh, am I going to spend the time the Lord has given me because I don't know how much, none of us knows when that last day will come, but it's in the hands of God. Verses 17 and 18 say, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. The attention the Lord gives to us is similar to the attention parents give to their children. It is similar to when you first fall in love with your future spouse. That person is the only one you can think about. You desire is to spend as much time as possible with them because you delight in being in their presence. That is the Lord's desire for us. The scripture says his thoughts toward us outnumber the sand on every seashore on earth. We are precious in his sight and he desires to spend time with us one on one. Verses 19 through 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They are become my enemies. This section describes God's attitude towards evil. He desires for us to love what he loves and hate what he hates. In Psalm 101, verses 6 and 7, David says, My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. One who, works, who walks in a blameless way is one who will serve me. One who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. One who speaks lies shall not maintain his presence before me. Psalm 119, verses 127 and 128 says, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, Yes, above pure gold. Therefore, I carefully follow all your precepts concerning everything, and I hate every false way. The Lord desires for us to have an impact on the world of lost men and women, but we need to constantly be on guard against taking on their values and becoming indistinguishable from the world. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 14 and 15 says, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a, con a believer in common with an unbeliever? When we are conformed to the character of Christ, it brings glory to him. He desires for us to walk in obedience to his word because as his children, he knows that's what's best for us. He gives us his laws not to create fear of punishment if we disobey, but so we will know the right way to walk, both to keep us from harm and remove our, ob 
but also to remove obstacles that hinder our ability to abide in his joy and his love and fellowship together. John 15, verses 10 through 11 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be made full. We've explored the attributes of God's sovereignty and how out of his great love for us, he exerts his power to care for us in every area of our lives. The question, the thing that, uh, sorry, the question for us is what should our response to be at this revelation of all that God is and all he does for us? David's response is in verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there is any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. David finishes the psalm with this prayer asking the Lord to search out his inner motives and desires of his heart. He asks the Lord to search out his anxious thoughts that reveal areas where he is trusting in himself rather than having faith in God. And he asks the Lord to search out and reveal hidden sin in his heart and lead him to walk in the truth. Why does David end the, with this response? Because when we see our, how great God is and how much he loves us and desires to have fellowship with us, it, it causes us to recognize how much we fall short in our obedience to his commands and how undeserving we are of his grace. Because we are still have an old nature, we are unaware of the corruption that still resides in our hearts. And that it's hindering our relationship with the Lord. When we acknowledge this about ourselves, we cry out to God to search out the unrighteousness in us, to bring us to repentance and to seek forgiveness. As he does this work in us, he draws us into a more intimate relationship with himself. Romans 2.4 has always been a precious verse to me, for it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When we consider how much the Lord thinks about us and desires to spend time with us, we need to ask ourselves these questions. What priority do I put on spending time with him in the word and talking with him in prayer? How much thankfulness is part of my daily conversation with God for all he is doing in my life as well as the grace, mercy, and blessing he pours out on my life? How much am I willing to hear from God about areas of my life that I still claim as mine? And how much am I willing to repent and forsake of sin as he reveals it to me? The question that surrounds all this is, who am I living for? 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. In order to grow in our relationship with our loving Savior, we need his help 
to search us out and to draw us close to himself. And we need his help to be willing to, to be intentional about our relationship with him. Uh, that I think is, you know, it's, it's so easy the longer you walk with the Lord to just kind of coast. But, you know, I heard somebody say just recently that the biggest problem in marriage is that people aren't intentional at maintaining their relationships. That's true with our spouse, it's true with, with uh, our children, with our friends, but it's especially true with the Lord that we need to be intentional uh, Let's uh, we close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the greatness of your love and the greatness of your power that you exert on our behalf. We pray, Lord, that we might not go from this place without taking serious consideration of seeking you out and ask, having you search out our hearts to find where the things that are obstructing our relationship with you Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would change our hearts, and that we would be different because we were here this morning. We give thanks now for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.